Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. It's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It is the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. Being raised in an Orthodox Jewish home, I remember when I used to go with my dad to Yom Kippur services, they are, were nothing like what we're going to experience tonight. You know, there's, there's just nothing like that, because we have to remember that the atonement in Messiah has been provided. So there's sort of a, you know, there's always a tension I experience and think about with Yom Kippur. On the one hand, it's a holy uh, moment, and a moment of reflection, a mo- moment of self-evaluation, a time when we're to deal with uh, our own life, our own sin, and to remember what the Lord has done in our behalf in order to provide redemption uh, for us. So there's that part of it that sort of causes me to pause, you know. But then on the other hand, the Lord has done this for us. And so there's, a, there's also a, a, a thing inside of me that says, this may be the evening when we should worship the Lord with the greatest amount of joy. You know, so it's kind of a funny thing. And I don't know if we can ever land in the right place. We just will do as the Lord leads us this evening. But I want you to just feel welcomed. I want you to feel relaxed. I want you to be able to hear the Lord's voice. I want you to be able to speak to the Lord and not feel constrained or constricted in any way, shape or form. If you would, why don't you stand with me? And we'll start with a responsive reading that we have from Psalm 130. And then uh, Eleanor is going to light the candles for us. And then there's a prayer of confession. There's some really neat things. Miriam's going to play the cold nidre for us as we kind of uh, pray and seek the Lord and seek his mercy and his grace. Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the sound of my supplications. If you, O Lord, kept a record of iniquities, my Lord, who could stand? With you there is forgiveness, so we may be revered. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman. Watchman for O Israel, wait for the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is full redemption. Let us pray this prayer of confession together in the Machzor, in the Jewish prayer book for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. There's a prayer that that is an acrostic. Each each successive prayer request or acknowledgement is a different starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first phrase will start with the letter Aleph, and then the letter Beit, and then Gimel and Dalid. And uh, and I think in your handouts uh, you'll see the Hebrew alphabet there. And the reason why the rabbis put this prayer together because it's to remind us that we can't name all of our sin, but this is meant to signify. Uh, all of our sin that the Lord has forgiven. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Our God and the God of our forefathers, may our prayer come before you. 
Do not ignore our supplication, for we are not so brazen and obstinate as to say before you, O Lord, our God and the God of our forefathers, that we are righteous and have not sinned. Rather, we and our forefathers have sinned. And let's recite together. We have become guilty. We have betrayed. We have robbed. We have spoken slander. We have caused perversion. We have caused wickedness. We have sinned willfully. We have extorted. We have accused falsely. We have counseled evil. We have been deceitful. We have scorned. We have rebelled. We have provoked. We have turned away. We have been reversed. We have acted wantonly. We have persecuted. We have been obstinate. We have been wicked. We have corrupted. We have strayed. And if you know this, you can sing the Avino Malcano with me. Avinu Malkeinu Avinu Malkeinu Chaneinu Va'anenu Kien Banu Masim Aseimanu Avinu malkeinu, chaneinu va'anenu, kien banu masim. Aseimanu, tzedaka v'chesed. Aseimanu tzedaka v'chesed v'hoshienu Avinu malkeinu chaneinu v'aneinu Avinu malkeinu Chaneinu va'aneinu Kien banu masim Our Father, our King, be gracious and answer us, for we have no merit. Treat us with righteousness and loving kindness and save us. Andrew. On Yom Kippur, it is traditional to recite Yiskor, which is a prayer in memory of the departed. And so, uh, if we would, I know Andrew asked us to, to be seated, but we're really to stand during this prayer in honor of those loved ones in our family, in our lives, friends that we might want to be remembering and thinking of during this time. Let me read for you some of the passages that are read, and then I'll recite a, uh, I'll read a Hebrew prayer, and then a, uh, the translation. And you could be in prayer of thanksgiving for family, friends, loved ones that have played such an important part in your life. Lord, what is mankind that you would recognize him? the son of a frail human that you reckon with him. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. In the morning it blossoms and is rejuvenated. By evening it is cut down and brittle. According to the count of our days, so may you teach us. Then we shall acquire a heart of wisdom. Safeguard the perfect and watch the upright for the destiny of what man is peace. But God will redeem my soul from the grip of the lower world, for he will take me, Selah. My flesh and my heart yearns, rock of my heart, 
and my portion is God forever. Thus the dust returns to the ground as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Whoever sits in the refuge of the Most High, he shall dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, I will trust in him. That he will deliver you from the ensnaring trap and from devastating pestilence. With his pinion he will cover you, and beneath his wings you will be protected. Shield and armor is his truth. You shall not be afraid of the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in gloom, nor the destroyer who lays waste at noon. Let a thousand encamp at your side and a myriad at your right hand, but to you they shall not approach." You will merely peer with your eyes, and you will see the retribution on the wicked. Because you said, You, O Lord, are my refuge. You have made the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. He will charge his angels for you to protect you in all your ways. On your palms they will carry you, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Upon the lion and the viper you will tread. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. For he has yearned for me, and I will deliver him. I will elevate him, because he knows my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I am with him in distress. I will release him, and I will honor him. I will satisfy him with long life, and show him my salvation. I will satisfy him with long life, and show him my salvation. El malei rachamin shochem bamromim hamatzei menucha nechona al kanfei hashkina b'maalot kedoshim ut chorim kizchar harakim mishirim et nishmot shlechot laalolam ba'avor shebli neder etem tzedaka ba'ad haskarat nishmotehem Began Eden Tehe Menuchata Lachain Baal Harachamim Yastirim Beseter Kinafath Leolamim The Yitzroar Bitzwar Hachayim Et Nishmotachem Adonai Hu Nachalatam Vayanahu Bashalom Al Mishkavotehem Vinomar Amen. O God full of mercy, who dwells on high, Grant proper rest on the wings of the, the divine presence, in the lofty levels of the holy and pure ones who shine like the glow of the firmament, for the souls of those who went on to their world, because without making a vow I will contribute in remembrance of their souls. May their resting place be in the Garden of Eden. Therefore may the Master of mercy shelter them in the shelter of his wings for eternity. May he bind their souls in the bond of life. Lord, the Lord is their heritage, and may they repose in peace on their resting places. And let us respond, Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for those who have been in our lives, that, Father, have made us different than what we might have been without them. I think of some who have invested their time, their energy, their treasures, their love, their expertise, their counsel, their companionship, their friendship, their love, they've shared that with us. And Father, I thank you for what they have meant in my own life. And for those, Father, that I know of who are with you because of their love for Messiah Yeshua, I pray, Father, that they are rejoicing evermore. And Father, I look forward to the time when I will be with you and will see them once again. And so, Father, on this Yom Kippur, we thank you for the atonement you have provided. And through repentance and faith and acknowledgement of Yeshua, we have this certain hope that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Messiah. And that to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. And so we are grateful, Lord, for your making a way for us to be with you forever and ever. 
So, Lord, we give you all praise, honor, and glory. For you are God who abounds in mercy and grace, who is slow to anger and delights in forgiving our sin. We praise you, O Lord, for we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Leviticus 16 are the instructions regarding Yom Kippur. But as I was reading Leviticus chapter 16, it seems to relate to another incident that occurred during the wilderness wandering or the time after coming out of Egypt. And they, both of those events that I want to share with you, one here, Leviticus 16, the other in Exodus chapter 34, really speak to the themes related to Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement. Chapter 16 is a long chapter, but let me read to you the concluding verses, beginning at verse 29. The ordinances regarding Yom Kippur is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or an alien living among you. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He's to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the holy place or the tent of meeting and the altar and for the priests and all the people of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. Well, I'll I'll summarize for you what Moses writes in Leviticus chapter 16, but these concluding verses focus on the attitude with which the Israelites were to observe Yom Kippur. The attitude is one of humility. The attitude is one of obeying God's command and doing what he has prescribed. Yom Kippur is the only fast day or prescribed fast, apart from Tisha B'Av and the time of the destruction of the temple, that the rabbis tell us of in the scripture. But actually, the scriptures do not particularly command us to fast. You read here, or you heard here in this section, that twice it said to deny yourself. The word there means to humble yourself, to lower yourself. But what's really interesting is that this Hebrew word, to humble, to lower, to deny, is found in two other places with fasting in the Hebrew Scriptures. In Isaiah chapter 58, there's this encouragement to humility and to fast. And Psalm 35 says the very same thing. So because in the Psalm and in the book of Isaiah, fasting is accompanied with this word to deny yourself or to humble yourself, the rabbis conclude what is meant here is to fast as well. And so that's why it has become a fast day. But it's also interesting that he tells us this is something that we are to observe every year. It sort of is a time that the Israelites get a new start. All throughout the year, we have sinned, we have violated. By the word, the word here for sin, which comes up repeatedly, is not merely the word to misstep, to miss the mark, to do otherwise. It's the word that means to rebel. The idea is is that we consciously or unconsciously are in an act of rebelliousness against God. And so the means by which God has made to reunite us with him, because any act of rebellion alienates from him, alienates us from him, is what is prescribed here for Yom Kippur. So all year long we've been rebelling against God, and tonight and tomorrow, this day, the Lord has provided us with a means of, as it were, having a second chance having another opportunity to sort of get it right. And that's why in my message title, I think I put, The Wonder of God's Grace. Because the Lord, every year, had fashioned into the Mosaic Law an opportunity to get it right. An opportunity to be restored. An opportunity to have hope. An opportunity to know that our sin is actually dealt with. 
and therefore we can stand righteous before God. Now, all of this was anticipatory of what God would do through Messiah when he would provide us with that ultimate atoning sacrifice so that we would not have to go through this year after year. Because as the writer to the Jewish believers in the Brit HaDashan, the New Covenant Scripture says, tells us is, if the blood of bulls and goats offered whenever they are offered, be it on Yom Kippur, be it on Shabbat, be it on other festivals, if the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin, why then did we need to repeat it? Why was Yom Kippur observed every year? Why were sacrifices offered every Shabbat? Why were sacrifices offered on every major festival that the Jewish people observed? Because they looked forward to a time when God would be done with our sin once and for all. And the writer to the Hebrews makes a comparison with what the priests of Israel had done when he brought the blood into the mercy seat. He says that Messiah had presented a greater offering than that which any of the priests had ever offered because it was the blood of his own son. And it was offered in a more worthy place. For the priests, it was on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. But for Messiah, it was in the heavenly temple, in the heavenly Holy of Holies, in the heavenly mercy seat, of which the temple and the tabernacle was only a model off of the reality. And so Messiah's sacrifice is utterly greater than any of the sacrifices that had preceded his coming. But we learn from what was to occur in Israel up until when Messiah would fulfill what these moments meant to anticipate. If you look at chapter 16, I want to do this quickly because I want to show you something else that's really kind of neat here. If you look at chapter 16, notice this, the grace of God. That's what I want you to think about as I share some of these things. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord and offered that what was referred to as the strange fire before the Lord, and they died. Now what the Lord then says is, in light of what happened to your own sons, who had offered inappropriate sacrifice in the temple, says strange fire could have been an offering to some false gods in the midst of the Lord himself. And it says that he struck them and they died. Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses. So first of all, Aaron can't come at any time. He has to come when God tells him. But here's the point. This invitation to come is coming on the heels of the death of his two sons. You would think God would say, these priests are not getting it together. You can never come into my presence. There will never be a time where I will allow you to come into my presence. But God isn't like that. He tells Aaron, despite how your sons had behaved, I'm still giving you an opportunity to come into my presence. But you have to do it my way. You have to do it as I command. This is so much like where we are in our lives today. We see so much tragedy. We see so much hardship in our own lives. They are signals to us that God has a better way for us if we would do it his way. We could really experience full forgiveness. We could really have our consciences clear if we would do it God's way. We can't come before God any way we want. The high priest had to come only when God permitted him to. And so in our world today, people say there's all kinds of ways to God. But God is telling us there aren't all kinds of ways to him. There's only one way. As Messiah said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Aaron can't come into my presence whenever he wants, and we cannot get it right with God however we want. We can only get it right with God the way God wants. And therefore, we need to be submissive to his word and to his revelation in it. But I'm still amazed 
at the grace of God. He just doesn't give up on them. He says, okay, they got it wrong here. Aaron's own sons got it wrong, but let me help you get it right. That's such an encouragement to me because so often I get it wrong. So often I make the wrong choices. So often I do the things that get me into trouble. But God doesn't give up on me. God says, okay, let's start again. Let's try it this way. And he's very gracious and he's very compassionate. So what does he tell Aaron to do? Check this out. This is really kind of neat. In verse 3, this is how Aaron is to enter. First of all, there had to be an offering, a young bull. Secondly, there had to be a ram for a burnt offering. But here's the neat thing. Look at verse 4. He's to put on the sacred linen tunic with the linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are the sacred garments. Then he must bathe himself with water. By the way, it says in the Talmud that the bathing process involved five immersions and ten washings. So he wanted to make sure that he bathed right. And then he would put on these linen garments. And then he would offer the offerings. Now, you and I, whenever we think of the high priest, don't we think of the robes, the umen and thummin, the shield with the 12 jewels that signify the 12 tribes of Israel? Don't we think of the miter that was on his head and the golden uh, emblem that hung on his forehead that said, Holy unto the Lord? And his robe was a colorful robe. It had bells on it. Haven't we all heard preachers preach on how the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies? They'd hear the tinkling of the bells. And if he got it wrong, we knew he was done. And they'd have something tied on his ankle. They'd pull him out. But you know, that's all not true, right? That's not true. Because what does Leviticus tell us? Put on the linen garments. So he doesn't have his regalia on. He doesn't have all the colorful stuff. He only has the very simple white linen garments. He comes into God's presence humbly. He comes into God's presence in white because the Lord is going to bring healing and cleansing to him. He's got to bathe because he's going to symbolize for the people the righteousness that is to be imputed unto them by God himself. Not something they can conjure up, but something he can put on that's given to him. Something God can do for him, not something Aaron has to do for himself. Indeed, he has to obey, but God is providing the mechanism. But I love this. It's simple. It's plain. It's somewhat insignificant. God calls the humble. God calls the lowly. Even Messiah himself says, Blessed are those who mourn, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's all about standing right before God. He is gracious and we are in need of his mercy. He is all powerful, but we are weak. He is king. We are creations of him. And Aaron, as he symbolizes the people to God, he comes humbly before him because he's going to bring, as it were, the sin of the people before God so that God might forgive him. Notice, too, that there are, I don't want to go through all the passages, it's a lengthy one, but you can read it. But notice, too, there is the offering of the sacrifice, the blood that needs to be spilt for him and his family and for the people of Israel. And he's to take of the blood from the offering. And he is to go, and this is really interesting, too. He's to take two, like, uh, pots, is what I imagine, of uh, coals off from the altar, one in each hand. And then he's to have with him two handfuls of incense. And when he gets into the Holy of Holies, he's to take the incense and throw them into or place them into the coals, the hot coals from the altar. And of course, what happens is the smoke rises up. Why? Because God is dwelling over the mercy seat, over the Ark of the Covenant that's in the Holy of Holies. His glory is shining forth and no one can see his glory, as it were, and live. The concern is that Aaron's going to get hurt 
in the midst of the Holy of Holies with the glory of God present. So the incense, as the smoke comes up, it sort of protects him from seeing all the glory. You know, that's what's happening. He can't really see what's really in there. You know, he's sort of like this. And he's to take the blood that he would have in a little basin and with his finger seven times he was to dip he was to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat seven times before the ark of the covenant and then he was to take it in seven times on the altar and also on the objects in the holy place so as to cleanse the holy place as well because all year long the priests have been serving and they've been bringing their sin in the temple and thus on Yom Kippur, it's not just the people, although that's preeminent, but it's also the Holy of Holies, it's the temple, it's the objects inside the holy place, it's the altar, it's everything. And there is the need for blood to be shed. In chapter 17, he will say, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. But it's not just the blood, there's another animal that is taken, a scapegoat. And the scapegoat, the other animal, is placed before the holy place of the temple. And the high priest is to take his hands, place it on the head of that calf, on that uh, goat, and is to pronounce the sins of the people. Is to recite the sins and rebellious actions of the people. And then an individual was to take the goat and lead it out to a desert place and let it run off as it were presumably die but to run off and so you have these two kinds of images you've got the blood that purifies Israel of her sin and you have the scapegoat that removes the sin from their presence <laughs> you know and that's what we experience in Messiah right we have through his blood an atonement that purifies and he takes our sin and he casts it into the depths of the sea he removes our sin as far from us as the east is from the west so just as this goat is taken out the sins are removed and as the blood is spilt the blood cleanses and brings uh, purity to the people that's what Leviticus 16 is all about and all the prescription for it. But it hinges on the two sons of Aaron had offered the sacrifices wrongly, but God was gracious still to provide for his people. So it made me think of another incident in Israel's history where they were given another chance and God's grace is like permeates the story. So if you turn to Exodus chapter 34, this is what you find. That after Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the law, you remember he came down, he saw this rebelliousness in the camp of Israel. So what does he do? He takes the tablets and he throws them to the ground. That is not the only time we'll see the manifestation of Moses' anger. The second time is when he doesn't just speak to the rock, but he strikes it, and it kept him, it barred him from entering the promised land. This time, it forces him to chisel out two tablets. See, God had made the two tablets and wrote on it, but this time, Moses, you're chiseling them out. I'll write on them again, but you're chiseling them out. And it made me think, Wednesday night when we had our Bible study and we were studying on Jonah, I'm going to speak on Jonah tomorrow morning, about God's power, the wonder of his power. But when we read about Jonah, it, real interesting things struck me as I read the the story of Jonah, it says that he went down to Joppa to run away from God, right? He goes down to Joppa, and then he pays the fare to go on the boat. And I just thought, every time we rebel against God, run from God, do it our way, we pay for it. You know, we pay the fare. But whenever you find in Scripture God leads the way, he always pays. He always takes care of it. It's a really interesting thing. Abraham, right? He goes up on the mountain to offer up the lamb. God provides it. You know, do things God's way. It was Mueller, George Mueller, I think it was, the guy at the orphanage who was always pray, pray about things. He says, when you do things God's way in God's time, it will never lack God's provision. And so similarly, when you do things your own way and a way that God doesn't want, you'll always pay. 
And so Jonah pays his way. But the second time when God calls him, it says, and he went. It doesn't say anything about having to pay any fares. You know, God just took care of him and got him there. But here's the thing. So Moses broke the tablets. Now he's got he's to pay. So he's got to make two more tablets, right? But God says, listen, come on up. And I'm going to write on them a second time. It reminds me of this incident in Leviticus 16. His son, Aaron's sons failed. Well, listen, I'm going to give you another instruction about how to do this right. Moses did this wrong, but I'm going to give you instructions how to do it right. Now, look what happened. When Moses chiseled out the two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands up the mountain. By the way, I've had opportunity to climb Mount Sinai. That is, if I climb the right mountain. And... We left about four in the morning, got to the top to see like the sunrise. And it is glorious. In fact, in my trip to Israel, that was back in 79. I have to tell you, that was really the epic experience for me, was going up uh, Mount Sinai in the wilderness there and looking out over, it looked like you were on Mars. It was just magnificent and it was beautiful. I can show you, tell you more about that. But it says, Then the Lord came down in the clouds, stood there with him, and proclaimed his name. Get this. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming his name. The Lord. The Lord. Notice it's all in capital letters, the sacred name of God. The Lord. The Lord. Now notice how he's described. The compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. That's what made me think of Yom Kippur. That's what God wants to do. He wants to forgive us of our rebelliousness, our wickedness, and our sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. So I started thinking more about this, reading on it, and I've learned some things I hadn't really thought about before. But there's two problems here in this passage. Look, first of all, it says to us that he's one who is abounding in love and faithfulness. And look, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving. But then the next verse says... Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Says he's forgiving, yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. And what I learned is that this passage is quoted by two other prophets. One is the prophet Joel. And it's found in like chapter 2. You can read that. Chapter 2, I think is verses 12 and 13. And in that passage, Joel speaks about the graciousness of God, the compassion. He, he, he repeats exactly what God says to Moses. He quotes this passage. And what he tells us is, if Israel would repent, they would experience the forgiveness of God. Jonah says the same thing in chapter 4. After Nineveh is forgiven, Jonah is beside himself. That judgment didn't fall. And he says, you see, God, that's why I didn't want to come. I knew you would forgive them because you are slow to anger, abounding in mercy, desiring to forgive. And it's the same thing. Why does he forgive? Because the Ninevites repented. So now we understand what God told Moses here. He forgives when we repent. If we don't repent, he will punish. That's what he's saying here. But here's the other thing. This whole second and third generation kind of thing, you know, visiting the sins on the second, third generation. I've heard all kinds of crazy things about that, that if, if parents had sin in their life, it's going to trickle down to the second and third generation. They have no hope. They're stuck. But that's not what the scriptures teach at all. In fact, if you look at Ezekiel chapter 18, it says that the children will not suffer for the sins of their father. And it gives us an example. Ezekiel 18 talks about someone, a son whose father was rebellious, but the son was not. And therefore, Ezekiel says, the son will not be punished because of the father's sins. So now we understand this second and third generation. If the second and third generation live like their fathers or their parents who rebelled against God, indeed, their sins will trickle down to you. But if you 
decide to repent of those sins, live a different way, they have no effect on you whatsoever. So when he says visiting the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation, yes, if you live like them, if you embrace the values that they have, indeed, the natural consequences of what they've taught you and what you've embraced will affect you too. But that wasn't like Josiah's case. Manasseh, wasn't it, was like one of the most wicked kings in Israel, but Josiah was one of the most righteous because he didn't live like his father. So now look at the passage one last time as we draw this to a close. I want you to focus on the grace of God, how gracious God was to Aaron despite how his sons had responded. God came back with a way that you can be united with God and atonement can be experienced. Despite how Moses had acted by destroying the tablets, he gives them two more tablets. But he does one other thing. He announces who he is. And I want you just to see this because there are five different characteristics that are listed. Take a look at them one more time. He says, first of all, the Lord proclaimed he's the compassionate and gracious God. He says, secondly, he's slow to anger. Thirdly, he abounds in love and faithfulness. Fourthly, he maintains love to thousands. And fifthly, he forgives wickedness and rebellion and sin. Now, this is poetry. And so Hebrew poetry is really kind of neat because the writers utilize Hebrew poetry style in order to emphasize things. You know, um, when my son was younger, and I don't have to do this now, but when he was younger, and he sort of doubted my love for him, you know, doubted that I had his interests in mind, because I told him he had to go to bed early or something like that, you really don't love me kind of a thing. Well, I would remind him, no, I do love you. I think the highest of you. I believe you are such a wonderful young man. I just pile on things, right? That's what we do. We want to let them know just how much we, we care for them. That's what God is doing here. I mean, God could have just said, I'm the gracious, faithful one. And we wouldn't have complained about that. But he doesn't. He says, I'm the one who's compassionate and gracious. I'm the one who's slow to anger. I'm the one who abounds in love and faithfulness. I'm the one that maintains love to thousands. I'm the one that forgives. Is there anything else we need to know about God? Because all of those other good things, I'm it. But this is poetry. So if you think of these five things, consider the first thing he says and the last thing he says, the first and fifth thing, consider the second thing he says and the fourth thing, and then the third thing he says is sort of like the heart of God. Think of it like that. So here's the first thing he said, right? He said, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. Look at the last thing he says, forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. So you ask the question, how is it that God can forgive my wickedness, my rebelliousness and sin? Because he's compassionate. And what else did he say? And he's gracious. So on the one hand, he's gracious and compassionate. What does it lead him to do? To forgive. So what do we read about in Leviticus 16? He's gracious and compassionate. What does he do? He leads us, he enables us to be forgiven. Now look at the second and fourth thing. The second thing he says, he's slow to anger. But look at this. He maintains love to thousands. Whenever you've experienced love, uh, whenever you've experienced anger, did you really hate the object of your anger? I mean, when you're angry at something, your love is sort of like going out the door. But you see, God is slow to anger. Why? Because his love abounds. In other words, there's th that connection too. He's slow to anger. Therefore, when you sin, he's not there looking, or I sin, he's not there looking with a club. I can't wait, you know, because I know it's going to, I know he's going to mess up. I can't. No, no, he's not like that. He's slow to that. He doesn't want to do that. What he wants to do is love to a thousand generations.
You can't be angry and love at the same time, it would appear. And if you are angry, you know those positive feelings of love and respect and all those things, they're sort of forgotten. That's why the scripture says, you know, to deal with your anger quickly. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. And so God is slow to anger. And that's because his love is so great. But then look at the middle thing. He says, but he abounds in love and faithfulness. That idea of abounding means there's a whole lot of it. <laughs> you know, He abounds in love and trustworthiness and faithfulness. He's one that we can turn to because he overflows with it. And he has so much of it, it can be extended throughout. So that's why I say that's sort of the heart, you know, of this, of God. God is love, John tells us. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so the whole thing of this passage is God gives a second chance to Moses and to Israel, as it were. And he gives you and I second, third, fourth, one trillion, one, you know, 100 million opportunities. Because he abounds in love and faithfulness. He's slow to anger and delights in loving. He's ready to forgive because he's compassionate and he's gracious. And the way to experience all that is by repentance. And that's what Yom Kippur is about. Today, we can repent at any time. And because of the atoning sacrifice of Messiah, be forgiven like that. You know, I just thought that when the high priest confesses the sin and the scapegoat is taken away, it carries the sin of the people away, just came into my mind, Isaiah 53. He carried our sorrows. He takes them away from us. He is our ultimate Yom Kippur sacrifice. And so my encouragement to you, more than my encouragement, my pleading with you, more than that, my invitation to you, God's invitation to you, is to come unto me, all of you who are weary, all of us who are heavy laden, because if we come to him, we will find rest for our souls. We will find forgiveness for our sin. We will be guiltless before God. He will accept us fully and freely because of what Messiah has done for us. And he's done it because he's full of compassion and grace. Because he's slow to anger because he loves to thousands and because he delights in forgiving us of our sin. Don't deprive God of what he loves to do most to forgive us of our sin. So if you've never asked him to forgive and to acknowledge Messiah as the means by which he can deal with our sin, you need to do that. You need to do that tonight. Let's pray a moment. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word to us this evening. We are grateful, Lord, for the institution of Yom Kippur. What it provided for Israel up until Messiah came as a temporary covering and as a symbol and as a forward-looking experience to what Messiah would do fully and completely. For he would take away our sin when he would come and he would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need only present ourselves to him and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. There is no sin about which God cannot forgive us. It does 
it doesn't matter what we've done, God can forgive and to cleanse. Now, as you are praying, Miriam is going to play the Kol Nidre, which is a prayer of reflection and of uh, introspection. And I want you to think of God's word that says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Hebrew, it says, V'esare ushvu'e v'harime v'kodame uknase v'kinuye d'andarna ud ish t'ba'ana ud acharimina ud asarna al nafshatana miyom kipurim ze'ad yom kipurim haba alenu litovo b'chulchon ichartina v'chon Kulyon Yehon Sharon, Shivikiv Shivitiv, Betilin Umvutalin, La Shiririn, Vela Kayam, Nidrana La Nidre, Vesarana La Esare, Ush Vatana La Shivuot. All vows and self provisions, vows of abstinence, promise, vows with self-imposed penalties, payments, which we may vow, swear, promise, and devote from this day of atonement unto the next day of atonement. May it come to us in happiness. We repent them all. May they be held by the Almighty of no moment. May such vows be by him not considered as such oaths as oaths, nor such promises and obligations. May they be all null and void without power or binding force. And pardon shall be granted to the congregation of Israel, to the stranger who sojourns among them, when all the people transgress ignorantly. Pardon, we beseech, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy mercy. As thou hast borne this people from Egypt until now, and in the scripture it says, And the eternal answered, I have pardoned as thou hast said. Blessed art thou, eternal our God, King of the universe, who has preserved us alive, supported us, and brought us unto this season. As Miriam plays in a moment, I just want you to pray and commune with the Lord. If you need to ask Messiah into your life, this is the opportunity to do that. If there are things on your heart that you need to say, Lord, forgive me for this, bring that before the Lord as well. This is a time just for you to think of your own personal walk with the Lord. And when Miriam is finished, I'll conclude with the ironic benediction, and then we'll be dismissed tonight. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.